welcome to the Jazz and Gaz Show. I'm David Gazzarotto, and I'm going to be hosting this show today. So, um, yeah, I'm joined uh, here uh, in the Future Knowledge Studios by Jared Cameron, better known as Jazz. How are you, mate? Yeah, good, Dave. Yourself? E- excellent. Yeah, good. So, this is episode number one, and um, we're here to banter about the uh, the human side of business technology, you know, covering themes like HR technology, talent management, the future of work, and we'll probably dabble a bit in the world of consumer tech, which uh, we're pretty passionate about as well. So um, welcome uh, to those of you that have joined us. Um, thanks for listening, and uh, both of you. <laughs> so um, look, let's start with a bit of who are we. Um, so I'm, uh, I'm David, and David Gazzarotto. Um, I've been around the HR tech space, you know, looking at the intersection of people management and technology for probably over 20 years now. Um, I guess I'm, I would uh, class myself as an influencer and, and a consultant working with organisations to help them navigate through the decisions to, to, to select and deploy technology for HR and, and social collaboration. So, look, um, that's, uh, you know, that's, I guess, the, the headlines for me. Jared, I'll let you um, do the honours. Yeah, thanks, Dave. Uh, I'm Jared Cameron. Quite a lot like Dave, I guess, um, you know, I've spent most of my career really trying to work out how we connect people, process and technology. Um, very much so, though, um, I think I've had quite a focus on, you know, how do you maximise user adoption and, and how do organisations take that sort of scary leap sometimes into the cloud space. And uh, I, you know, I work with Dave at Future Knowledge and that's something we spend quite a lot of time assisting organisations to do. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we have a lot of fun doing it. And I guess that's... Um, uh, probably one thing you've noticed already is um, hopefully you'll be able to distinguish who's who on this uh, <laughs> this podcast for one fairly obvious reason. Um, I've uh, got a fairly strong Aussie accent and my colleague here, Jazz, uh, is from the land of the, uh, the long white cloud. Kiwi. Doesn't like to use vowels very often, so uh, you'll probably be able to distinguish that Kiwi accent. Um, so, uh, yeah, so we've, uh, we both, as Jared said, we work for uh, Future Knowledge. This podcast isn't about Future Knowledge, though. This is uh, you know, us uh, bantering around the things that we, uh, you know, we sort of talk about uh, in bars. <laughs> Over a drink. Uh, often with clients as well. And I think in terms of why we decided to get together and, and do this podcast, um, you know, there's, really, there's never been a more exciting time to be in and around business technology. Uh, is there? There's um, we're seeing no. accelerated speed of technology. It's kind of mind blowing. So, um, we're, and you know, we get around talking to a lot of organisations, uh, and we, we're seeing real challenges emerging. And it's harder and harder for them to keep up with the speed of technology advancement and digital transformation. Um, and and I think the one thing that often gets missed in that conversation is the human side. Mm. You know, and that's something that we're really, really big on. So, you know, that uh, we're going to um, try and add our voices to the, uh, to the mix because I don't think there's a lot of lot of talk no, going on. What do you reckon? I don't think so either. It's, it's um, you know, we spend a lot of time talking to organisations, but we don't see a huge amount of industry discussion going on. And I think uh, this is for us about you know our observations of what's happening in the market, and and also I think it's responding to what we're hearing our customers asking us questions about. Yeah. The, the concerns that they're facing and some of the challenges that they have in their organisations and and uh, and how we're seeing that addressed in the industry. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, look, we hope to bring you um, 
on a fortnightly basis. That's the commitment we're making right now. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, each podcast is going to have a degree of structure about it, and we're hoping to cover off on some common themes. We'll spend some time, you know, t- discussing some of the news and issues of the day, add our opinion to that um, for what that's worth. Um, we'll then look to talk about a featured topic of the week, and, and this week we're going to be uh, discussing something that's fairly, fairly dear to us, um, which mm. is uh, the fact that software doesn't run your business, people do. So we're going to, uh, at the back end of, of our session, uh, um, time together today, uh, we'll be discussing that topic. Um, and I think on top of that, we'll be bringing, trying to bring some life to you know, people, vendors, products in and around, um, particularly the HR technology space that we, we work most, most of our time in, um, bringing that to life as well. So um, welcome, and you know, let's. Uh, this is our first attempt. At this we are amateurs. Okay, yeah. we're not being paid to do this. Well, actually, technically, we are. Yeah, we're well, doing you... it on company time. So yeah, that's, okay. uh, that's so getting paid. We're professionals. Yeah, right. That's well, that's up the ante now, hasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, so look, I think we'll probably get better at this over time. So uh, so hopefully um, you'll enjoy the banter that we uh, bring to you today. Um, we'll be very interested in getting some feedback too. So wherever you. You're tapping into this. Um, drop us a line. We'll um, we'll certainly make uh, make uh, those contact details known as well. Cool. All right. Reach out. Well, is that enough intro? Yeah, I think so. There's plenty about us and what we're up to, and maybe we should talk about what's going on at the moment in the market. Awesome. Okay. Well, look. Um, probably the biggest news of the week so far has been uh, LinkedIn. Yeah. Do you want to tell us? Uh, give us the headlines there, Jared. Yeah. Gosh. Um, you know, this was one that. Um, when I first read it, I think I did the double take actually when I saw that you know Microsoft are buying LinkedIn for twenty six point two billion, and um, that's US dollars. It is US dollars, not, not Kiwi dollars. <laughs> what is it in Kiwi dollars? About, oh, about a trillion. Billion? I don't. <laughs> but um, but you know actually I did the maths on this, and um, they're buying a database with four hundred and thirty three million people in it. Wow. And uh, and when you work that out, it's you know they're paying sixty dollars per person. For their CV, yep. You know, it's interesting when you actually ask yourself, <laughs> "My CV, that's what it's worth." You know, if yeah. someone's going to price it on the market, they want information about my career history. Are you though. comfortable with that? Sixty bucks oh, for you? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's... I'm worth more than that, don't you? I don't know. Yeah, I think the jury's out on that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, a lot, a, a big price to pay for. Um, you know, I guess what is an, a pretty significant data set, mm. and uh, and you know, I, I think the observation I have on this is, you know, when I think about. What's the purpose of LinkedIn, and and why would I personally go there? You know, it's a, it's the home of networking for me, um, but it's also I think it's you know from a from a business context, it's the place that we we source talent and the, the place that we go, I guess, to do a bit of headhunting almost. And I sometimes I question myself to you know as to really what's what's the motivation for Microsoft in this merger or this this acquisition, yeah. and um, I struggle a little bit to see how it logically fits in with their their journey and, and with their technology they have available and um, we'll be interested to see how that plays out, I think. Yeah, I think the commentary around it's been divided so far mm. already. I think we've, we've seen some, um, I, I like the, the, the quote we were looking at earlier, uh, that there's two companies here that each often mocked for being boring in their own way, joined together to become a sort of Voltron of dull enterprise synergy. You've got to love that. Um, but, so... <laughs> I think, uh, from my perspective, I, I probably see things a little differently. I think this mm. is um, a really smart move from both companies. I think you've got two companies that 
already are dominant in what they do. You know, effectively, Microsoft is is the standard for for workplace productivity for enterprise um, your applications. That's the go-to, right? Yeah. It's the place that organisations go to get their, you know, if you're a big corporate, yeah, you're working with Microsoft. Generally. Exactly. Yeah. And if I look at, you know, you, you talk to, to, to the LinkedIn piece, for me, LinkedIn's a critical business tool that I use every day in the same way as Outlook is from an email perspective as mm, true. PowerPoint. I live on the PowerPoint platform, you know, Every, every day as consultants tend to. Um, so for me, it's about you know, bring, bringing two fundamental platforms that I would use together. And I think that's the view that would be taken between Microsoft and LinkedIn. It's how do we... I don't know that they've thought through exactly how that's going to come together, mm. but I think uh, it's it's saying let's, let's just capture everything that people would want to do in their business lives, you know, um, that's probably the obvious piece. Yeah, to me. it's it's becoming dominant, even more dominant. It's, it's interesting though because I guess um, I could have understood that acquisition from I could have understood that from somebody that already very much so dabbles in that talent space. I would have understood it if I mean I guess they do, but you know. It's, I'm I'm going to be really interested to see how they bring it under their under their umbrella and, yeah. and how they make it. You know, if I think about that from a from a, a user perspective or an individual perspective, you know, how is it going to be any different to what it's already like today for me? And will it be any different? Maybe not. Mm. You know, maybe I'll continue to go to LinkedIn for my networking and talent searching. And you know, when I'm running a workshop and I want to find out some information about attendees, that's the place I go to get that mm. data. Um, but will that be brought under the hood of Microsoft in some more comprehensive way? Yeah. You know, we're a, we're an Office three six five user, so uh, is that going to change the way that um, you know yeah. that we that we deal with some of those products? Yeah, Don't absolutely. Know. I mean, I think the interesting thing here is about you know, is this actually part of um, the death of email? Yeah, right? yeah. Let's let's put that out there <laughs> because I'm, I have and people who know me that I'm you know I've, I've got an email inbox that's is the scourge of anyone. I've got like 32,000 open, uh, unopened items in my email inbox. So it's, it's almost useless to me. Mm. Um, so I tend to use LinkedIn quite a lot for very targeted direct messages. And, and I'm actually, uh, there's, there's much more value to the interactions that I have on LinkedIn than there is in the email. Mm. And I wonder whether there's a bit of this going on too, where Microsoft's saying, well, as people get more and more disenchanted with email and its abuse and, misuse it's ineffective as a productivity tool maybe it will be superseded by platforms that are much more contextual yeah well you think about one of the big challenges with email mm. is you know first of all you have to know someone's email address yeah you know and, and this is the great yeah. thing about linkedin is you just have to know their name yeah you know it significantly it all automatically breaks one of those barriers down. yeah yeah, absolutely. And I think an email can be quite a closed solution. You know, it's all very much about who's in your organization and it's quite sort of static. Yeah. And LinkedIn's far more dynamic and it's more about who are the people you know. Yeah. And, and I think we've seen that in the, the world of consumer technology. So yep. if you think about Facebook introducing Facebook Messenger, and I mean, gosh, there was an uproar when they mm, did that. Mm. I mean, I, I recall <laughs> resisting <laughs> I downloading the app. I remember thinking, you want me to have two Facebook apps now, you know. <laughs> but the reality is that in my private life, Facebook Messenger has become my go-to yeah. communication tool. Yep. So maybe LinkedIn is becoming that 
yeah, some so people that's, in their business context. That's interesting. So I think this is all speaking the same sort of thing. I, I wonder, could this actually be a defensive play from Microsoft? Could this be mm. stopping someone else, you know, Google from buying LinkedIn, right, and just owning the entire planet just like that? So I, I think there might be something in that. I, I reckon we've got to see how this plays out. It's going to take the rest of the year for the transaction to kind of play. Yeah, yeah. So we probably won't really understand fully what, this is about full implications at this point next in year. time, but it's interesting. And look, I think it intersects a lot of what we do. You know, LinkedIn's yeah. a big tool that's being that is used around the talent management space. Yeah. Um, so uh, I'm sure we'll get lots of opportunities to to chat to to people in, in, in our in our world and, and place once it out. becomes so, a clearer as to what actually the impacts are. Yeah, so we'll, we'll come back to that one uh, in good time. But what a what a big news item for the week. Yeah. Hey, the other one, um, just sort of moving along. Um, the other big issue that we're seeing is around we've got a federal election here in Australia coming mm. up on the 2nd of July and the political hot potato of the National Broadband Network the NBN um, is back on the agenda again good um, it needs now, to be yeah you spent some time over here um, in, in Australia you're back in NZ now yeah I've, I've experienced both worlds I guess in that regard and yeah. uh, it's interesting because you know Australia's doing what you know every Every, every country is attempting to do. Very civilised and a few uncivilised. <laughs> some uncivilised as well, trying to upgrade its, you know, upgrade its technology, upgrade its infrastructure. Yeah. Um, you know, but having, you know, now living in New Zealand, I've had the benefit of seeing, um, you know, I've seen that actually been implemented. Mm. And I think there's, there's a really interesting divide here. And, you know, Australia is continuing to debate how do we go about doing it while yeah. other countries are going ahead and actually doing it. Yeah. And, you know, the, the case in point for me is, you know, in New Zealand, in, in my house, we've got fibre to our, our door. You know, that's there today. Well, yeah. I use that, yeah. you know, already. So what does that look like? Do you, like, open the front door and there's, like, this fibre cable there? I mean, like... <laughs> yeah, with lights and everything. Yeah, I know. yeah. Yeah, no, it's... Look, it's it's actually no different to... Um, in terms of, you know, it's no different to really life with broadband in terms of, you know, what tools you have. Yeah. But the experience is significantly different. Yeah. So how does that impact you guys? Yeah, look, you know what? It's a couple of things that's really changed for our household. You know, one, it's completely taken the focus away from speed and data. You don't have to really consider those anymore. Yep. But it has opened this really interesting um, new challenge that didn't exist in the past. Mm. You know, in the past, it used to be how fast can I access information? But actually now, it's how fast can providers give me the information. Right. So I've got yep. a faster connection than many people can give me the information. Yeah, yeah. Which is odd because the problem is still mine, but it's taken the focus from... It's shifted. Yeah, it's taken the focus from my house to their product. Mm -hmm. And actually, it means some of my motivations for buying are changing because now when I'm talking to a, 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 to a business that maybe supplies me streaming services, yep. I'll be asking them about how fast they can provide them yep. and in what quality because I can consume it. Mm -hmm. is the reality. So, so you'd be... I mean, you are almost like the, the poster boy for NBN really, because you're a predominantly remote worker. Work you're in a high-tech industry. You have yeah. lots and lots of different types of communications. So, um, yeah, if you were still in Sydney and or in Australia um, and you had a choice that looks like we're going to get the choice now of the Liberals' fibre to the node, yeah, which relies on the copper cable between the node and the house. It does. That federal stuff. Versus Labor coming out now to say, well, we're going to run it to the home. Mm. So, would you? Which way would you lead if you were forced to vote? Now, I'm not asking for your voting intention. Yeah, look, do you know what? Um, I've done some reading on this, and uh, any country that has gone to the node first 
has eventually realized they have to go all the way to the house. And right. the reason they have to do that is that the copper cable is inherently old technology. Yeah. So upgrading 80% of the way is good for now. And in today's world, it's okay. Yeah. You know, the types of things we're doing online at the moment, um, the number of devices we're using, I mean, look at a typical house, tablets and phones and desktops. You know, you might have five to 10 devices in your house that are accessing the internet today. Yeah. It's probably okay in today's yeah. world. The thing that worries me is about, is it going to be okay in three to five years? It could be that soon already yeah, right. that you start asking yourself, well, the speeds that we can get from that copper cable, yeah. is it going to be sufficient? And also the reliability, Dave. I mean, I know yeah, that yeah. you have challenges in your house with just getting access to the internet on yeah. your copper, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've got kids trying to do their homework on you know these cloud-based uh, sites like Reading Eggs and Mathematics, yeah. and there are nights when they can't do it because simply we can't get a connection to to work for well and, enough. And that's the, and the reality for their education is, you know, their education is moving partially online. Like it is yeah. a blended learning experience now. Yeah. And there's an expectation that at school and at home though they can continue learning at home. Yeah. It's frustrating, but it, you know it's good to see kids experiencing the same issues that we have from time mm-hmm. to time, where we have to abuse our computers because the broadband or the Internet speed so slow, so you know. I think why should life be better for them around the internet? Yeah, okay, well, I, I guess I guess to, to to long long and short to answer your question is you could vote either way on this as long as the fibre to the node was recognised as a stopgap yeah. only. So it's like we're basically if we're going with fibre to the node, we're we're Stage investing one. in widening a couple of lanes on the motor, on the motorway to let the traffic go through a bit better. Yeah, eventually we're going to have to invest in a, in a bigger. Yeah, it's all about it's all about distance and it's all about the type of technology. And you know, I, I had an analogy once that well, not it's, it's actually just the truth that a fiber cable is about the size of your finger, and the equivalent copper cable is about the thickness of you yourself. Yeah, yeah. So you know, there's a really big difference there between the two. Yeah, look, interesting topic, and I guess um, we'll see what plays out. Um, I think what's uh, the the bottom line here is that it looks like this is something the Kiwis are ahead of us on, and that's hundred percent. That's a bit embarrassing. So now there's two things: rugby. And uh, broadband rollout. Okay. That's just the start. <laughs> so let's move on. Look, we're, um, we've got a little bit time of time left just to, to bring our topic of the week to the table. So um, let's uh, let's let's get that out there. And I guess what we wanted to debate today was um, I, I, I'm not saying it's contentious. I think there's a lot of common sense in this, but we um, we use this line quite a lot when we're talking with with our clients that. Software doesn't run your business. People do. Mm. And I think when, we, when we're looking at technology and I guess the, the, the rapid digitalization of all aspects of what we do, both in our personal lives and in our working lives, um, we get caught up in the technology a lot and we see technology as the panacea, the, mm. the cure-all for all of our woes. Yeah. So do you, I mean, you, Dave, you spend a lot of time um, talking to senior leaders that are in that space where they're having to think about what type of technology they're going to buy. I mean, do you, do you, does that resonate for them when, you, when you're asking them or you're saying to them actually, you know, the technology is not the end-all solution? Yeah. Does that land with that group of people? Well, I, I think it does with a certain proportion. I think, I think um, senior leaders who, who get that um, it's the people that are the key differentiator, and increasingly so, we're seeing, you know, work... The, the nature of work is changing, mm. and I think the value of the human contribution is becoming more and more critical. So, and I think we, we're also in that moved from uh, a, a 
point in time where we were trying to automate, we're trying to um, replace the industrial era labor with automation, process automation, robotics and all that. And that will continue. What's replacing that is the knowledge era mm. stuff, which is uh, it needs to be, it, well, it is driven by the human piece. We, we haven't been able yet. I mean, IBM's got Watson. Which is, um, which is coming a long way. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. But we can't replace fundamentally what humans can do, what a human brain can do. Mm. And so um, that, to me, dictates the need for us to focus on uh, enabling people to competently and confidently use technology and, and for that to be you know, uh, the main objective of deploying, uh, de- deploying technology. I think um, the IBM Watson example is an interesting one because what what that really is, is I mean, that's artificial intelligence, right? Yeah. And, and what, what IBM's trying to prove, I think, is um, you can create artificial intelligence for doing in somewhat some degrees of complexity in mm. terms of the tasks. And the example I read recently was uh, a lot of what lawyers do in the main actually is relatively repeatable common tasks. Yeah. It requires you to have access to this body of knowledge. And the problem is no one person can really have all that knowledge. Mm. The reality is that artificial intelligence could. And so what would happen from that, you know, that divide around software doesn't run your business, people do, means that the type of activities that people work on will change. Mm. So software might pick up some of those more more basic or introductory sort of level things. And it will promote or push up the types of high-value activities that people Mm. will need to focus on. As organizations, we've... We, we've got to redesign, reimagine what the work is and how we're organising that in terms of roles and you know, the interrelationship of people. And and that, to me, is the crux of this. It's to say we don't just drop technology in to do to do a, um, a to replace what humans are actually physically doing. No. Um, what we what we've got to do is look at how it enables the business to transform. And so the whole process is bigger than just the technology itself. Yeah, it's I got agree. to be the people, the processes. That's got to be aligned to the business strategy and the outcomes we're trying to look at. And so, you know, when we use that statement, software doesn't run your business, you know, it's, it literally means that. We can't just turn the, take the humans out and put the, the technology in. runs, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> which a lot of vendors, you know, I'm sure SAP and Oracle would, would um, like to see it that way. <laughs> But um, unless unless we've got the technology enabling the humans to be more effective, more productive, uh, make better decisions based on the data that they're getting access to, and and for us, I think it's supporting organisations to drive uh, those technology implementations, it's about not just getting to go live, not just getting to the technical feasibility piece. It's about um, achieving maximum user adoption. So that is you know the intended end users, which typically is every employee now, mm. beyond that into... Well, that's actually one of the common mistakes we see, isn't it? Mm. When we when we talk about software doesn't run your business, people do. Yeah. You know, you've just said focusing on go live. Like, if there's going to be three or four practical things that you take away from this conversation, one yep. of them has got to be that. Yep. Don't just look at the day you turn the switch on. Exactly. Think about actually when people are going to be using it and adopting it. And I think, I mean, I think one of the mistakes that we come across a lot is uh, organisations they don't they don't they sometimes underestimate how much putting technology in is going to have a ripple effect mm-hmm. through their business. 
And, you know, we actually, you know, recently we, we were at a conference where Fletcher Building were presenting. Yeah. And, you know, it was really interesting. We've been doing a project with Fletcher Building over the last year. And one of the lessons they took away was actually when you implement technology, not only does it change your processes, but it might actually change, you know, the policies, the rule book by which people are expected to behave mm-hmm. by. And they didn't really see that when they started their implementation. That was something in hindsight. Yeah. And I think that's another mistake that people, they underestimate sometimes how much you have to change other parts of your business yeah. to really be successful when you put technology yeah. in. Yeah, and I think that's fundamentally because we, or organizations, are leading with technology. So they're thinking about what what do we need, you know, what are our requirements, what are our technology requirements, and then we go about trying to implement those um, and the afterthought is, well, what's the impact? You know, ch- classic change management in the ERP space, we've done a lot, but the HR tech implementation space as well, has been a very reactive. Yeah. It's about let's analyse the impact this technology will have on people. What we've got to be coaching organisations to do is to, to flip that 180 degrees and and say, well, what, you know, what are we trying to do? Why are we transforming? What's disrupting us that... Um, uh, is driving some decisions that we make to leverage technology and let's put the transformation initiative in place first and look at where technology helps to enable that and I think if that thinking is is the predominant one oh, and, and thinking about you know the level of maturity you know yeah. how how much really can we change our business in six months and 12 months and two years and yeah. you know I think I think a lot of organizations sometimes have expectations of what they can achieve in the first year and the reality is actually if you can get people aligned and you can get the technology configured and in mm. in the first mm. year that's probably doing quite well but actually it's another couple of years before you probably are starting to really see yeah. the benefits come to full fruition definitely and it's about committing to a more programized approach yeah it says i'm willing we're willing to get up and running with something that's a bit more you know agile language uh, minimum viable product you know, yeah something that's going to add some value but it's not the entirety of the solution yet we're gonna you know it's a starting point and it becomes a process improvement or a, um, a business improvement program rather than just a, a lengthy technology rollout that and i think that's what cloud has done for mm. most organizations it's it's made it possible to say We'll get something running mm. in the short term, and then we'll just grow with it over time. Yeah, exactly. and the product grows with you because of all the features that get released to it, but yep. also the ability for you to make changes to it. I think that's really critical. We will explore that, no doubt, yeah. in another one of our discussions around. Yeah, look, we deliberately you know, selected this as, as kind of the, the first theme that we discussed in uh, in episode one. Um, this is going to be something that recurs. It'll underpin other stuff we talk to. So, look. Um, Jared, that's uh, that's probably about all, all we've got time for today. So um, you've been listening to Jazz and Gaz talking about the human side of business technology, and uh, we've really enjoyed hanging out, um, having a chat. So look, um, we appreciate you taking the time to do so today, and we look forward to seeing you again. Uh, uh, look out for the next episode, and uh, we will see you again. Uh, again. Bye from Kez <laughs> and Jazz.